It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. I'm your host for Yoga Birth Babies, and today we are talking about maternity leave, how to navigate it, negotiating hospital bills, hiring a nanny, and paying that person on the books, off the books. Hmm, We're going to talk about that. And lots of details that may be overwhelming to some during this huge transitional time in their life. So to have this conversation, I reached out to Alex Burke. She is an employment litigator and provides advice and counsel on sexual harassment and discrimination cases, including pregnancy, disability, race, and gender discrimination. Alex Spearhead the Burke Wise Laws Pregnancy Project, providing pregnant women and families with the necessary tools to exercise their rights during and after pregnancy. So important to know what your rights are and how to get what you deserve. So we talk about so much, even including how to get a breast pump, how to negotiate these huge bills that you may get. So much great juicy information. Before we get to that, just a few things. I just want to say thank you for those that have left a rating and review recently. I've noticed the numbers jump and that's exciting. And if you haven't, please take a moment to go to wherever you're listening to this from, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever, and leave a rating and review. It's so appreciated and it helps other people find the podcast. What else is going on? So teacher training well underway. That's exciting. We still have some space left in the winter session at Willow Street Yoga. And then we have some spots left in the New York City one in the spring at Prenatal Yoga Center. And then over in Richmond, Virginia at Yoga Source. So you can check that out at our website, prenatalyogacenter.com. And you can just go to the teacher training page. And then for maybe those that a whole teacher training seems a little overwhelming or you just don't want to go down that path, but you want to have the information to support the pregnant people in your class. Who's afraid of the pregnant yogi? It's a five-week or five-session uh, self-guided online course that you can take and you get the five continued ed credits from Yoga Alliance. You can check that out at whosafraidofthepregnantyogi.com. It's a new course. I'm so proud of it. It's really fun. Okay. Before we get to the conversation with Alex, just letting you know, I'm recording this around the holidays and it always makes me think of family and gratitude. So I just want to take a moment to express my appreciation and gratitude for your listenership and for the PYC community. I feel like I have a whole fresh new beginning in our new space and we see the community continuing to grow and it is so exciting, not just the community in our four walls, but the listenership keeps growing, the teacher training keeps growing where we're bringing new teachers to new communities and it's just so exciting to see the growth and the work because it really is about serving the the pregnant person and the new parent and I'm just grateful. I'm just grateful that you're there listening. So, So thank you. 
Okay, we're going to take a really quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Alex about the Pregnancy Project. Enjoy. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, Alex. Good morning. How are you? Good. Hi, Deb. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so excited to talk to you. So I found you while looking through social media, of course. And when I saw what you were doing, I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to explore this. The Pregnancy Project sounds amazing. So um, I guess let's just jump in. Tell me, before we get into that, just tell me a little bit about yourself and then we'll take it from there. Thanks. Well, um, as you might have figured out, I am a lawyer. I practice labor and employment law in New York City and in the Hudson Valley. Uh, I'm also a relatively new mom. I have a 17-month-old son, Miles. Um, so this is, I started working on the pregnancy project before it was relevant to me, but um, knew <laughs> that it would be eventually. And yeah, I work at a small firm with my mom, Lori Burke Weiss, who happens to be a longtime labor and employment lawyer, and my colleague, Rosa Alberti. And I kind of went to law school with a vision of doing social justice work and had a focus on health insurance and public interest work. And sort of, you know, it worked out so that I. The office needed me at a time where I was looking for my next gig. And so I sort of fell into the employment world and have been really enjoying it. That's great. So tell me a little bit about what is the Pregnancy Project? Yeah, so we and our firm saw over time, Lori has been practicing for 30 years and Rose has worked with her for 11, though been a lawyer for the past two. And, you know, we see things happen time and again. And it's interesting because in the past year or two, I think pregnancy discrimination has actually been in the news and been discussed. But even prior to that, we saw that it happened a lot. And people really didn't expect that they would be discriminated against because they're pregnant. You know, it's the 2010s and women feel generally pretty powerful. And so there's always this sense of shock. So between their experience in employment law and my experience in health insurance, where I was helping women, sometimes women who are pregnant or just had children deal with these massive medical bills and understanding that a pregnant woman or a new mom really doesn't want to deal with the stress of all of these outside forces. We thought, well, what can we do to educate people so that they might know what's going on before it happens to them, before they're in crisis, or at least know kind of what questions to ask? Because I think some of the stress is 
you know, can be misplaced or can kind of get worse and worse because people don't really know where to turn. And it's not as simple as just Googling, what do I do? Because there is kind of a web of laws and questions and it's always very fact specific. So that was kind of the genesis of creating um, the Pregnancy Project. And the goal of the Pregnancy Project is just to, like I said, educate women and families about their rights so that they have a general understanding of what they can negotiate for in the workplace and when they really should seek outside assistance. And also the maternity uh, laws have changed. Um, it was a couple of years ago when New York now has, is it, and please correct me if I'm wrong, because I will be honest and I will out myself that I work for myself. So I never had actual paid maternity leave, you know, cause I worked myself and my husband actually just graduated grad school two weeks before my son was born. So he didn't have maternity leave for our first. And most of my teachers only work maybe three hours a week. So they didn't qualify. So this is brand new to me. Um, so <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out things did change a couple of years ago. Didn't something get passed? Yes, things have changed. And I think, you know, it's new to a lot of people. Um, so in 2018, New York State began to offer paid family leave. And, you know, just a little bit of background. In America, there is no federal right to paid maternity or paternity leave. There is a federal law called the FMLA, the Family Medical Leave Act, which people, I think, have a general familiarity with or might have heard about. But that law only offers a protected unpaid leave period of up to 12 weeks. And it only applies to people who've worked for about a year at their employer, and their employer has 50 or more employees. So that leaves a lot of people out. So what we've seen over the last few years is different states and um, Washington, D.C., and some cities as well, um, launching in and offering their own paid family leave programs, which are more expansive and create an opportunity for people to actually access some pay, not through their employer, but through a, an insurance program. Right. The first time I encountered this is I had a teacher recently give birth, and I honestly, I didn't understand. I knew I had to fill out paperwork, and I thought I had to pay, and, and I realized that I was later told, like, no, the insurance that I have pays her, and it's really money already taken out of her check, um, which also surprised me. So can you break down how the New York state laws are around maternity leave and how do companies accommodate this and, and what do the employees have to do? Yeah, those are great questions. So um, even having gone through it, it can sometimes be a little bit confusing. So basically employers, I think this started back in 2017, New York state employers with any number of employees so you can have one employee, you can have a nanny, and that nanny is entitled to New York State paid family leave if they've worked with you long enough. And what happens is the employer has to have an insurance company, and generally, um, if you're offering, if you have workers' compensation insurance, sometimes those insurers offer this policy as well. So you have to sign up for the policy and then take deductions from the employee's paycheck to cover the policy. And it's not just, it's not as much as health insurance. It's capped at a much lower cost. I believe, 
I should know the number off the top of my head. I don't, but it's, it, it should be like less than $5 per paycheck. Um, I think potentially much less. And the idea is that when someone is thinking that they're going to need paid family leave, which you can take, the idea in New York is that it's for the care of another. So it applies when you have a child, when you adopt a child, if your partner has a child, if you foster a child, but it also can apply if you have to care for a sick family member. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So you have to give the your employer, the employee gives the employer some notice, theoretically, if it's planned, up to 30 days notice to apply for paid family leave. And the, there is paperwork through the state that you and also through the insurance company. So you have to kind of coordinate with the insurance company to ensure that you're providing the right information. And then once the insurance company approves the claim, they pay the employee. Yeah, I just remember there being a lot of paperwork. <laughs> and, my it biggest, is a lot. and my biggest concern I always want to make sure is that the my employees, my teachers have put that aside. So if they know they need, they may need to use this. So how can we make sure, you know, all business owners or employees make sure that for those that want to make sure the money's coming out of their paycheck, that it is, they make sure they talk to their employee and make sure it's coming out. Or is there something on their check they can see? So it should be listed on your pay stub, the way that all taxes are listed, you know, your state taxes, your city taxes, and whatever else is being taken out of your pay is listed on the pay stub. So should your um, contribution to paid family leave. That's good to know. So let's talk about when you suggest an employee inform their employer they're pregnant. Because I know... um, you know, I will again say in my line of business, we're, we're prenatal yoga center. We, we, we welcome that. But I can imagine in other corporate worlds, because I've had students say like, you know, no one else knows yet. I haven't told my employer. I can imagine that being tricky. So mm-hmm. what are your thoughts Definitely on that? Tricky. Um, well, I'll start with a very lawyerly answer, which is to say that it's completely fact specific. So there's no one answer about when someone should tell their employer that they're pregnant. What people should know is that there isn't a requirement. It's not like you have to tell them by a certain date. Although if you're taking paid family leave, there is a 30 day notice period. So I guess technically that would be the the notice that you have to give. Generally, when we talk about Um, When we talk to people about when they should inform their employer, the kinds of questions we're asking are, well, do do they need to know? So if you're having a complicated pregnancy and you are maybe seeing a lot of doctors or you might need some reasonable accommodations, um, which are basically small changes to your work that allow you to continue working at your position, then you might want to tell an employer soon. Sometimes people tell their employers um, before they tell their family. 
But generally speaking, there's no reason to tell your employer very, very early unless you are going to need to make a change to your schedule or they should know so that they are aware that they don't shouldn't be discriminating against you because you're not late to work because you're you know a bad employee you're late to work because you've had morning sickness I'd also imagine if it's physical labor for some jobs that at some point they shouldn't be lifting something so heavy or being on their feet for so long is there anything and the, and, and pregnant people are protected under this. So they should, I'm assuming then think people, the employees can work around that or the employers should work around that. Correct? Yeah. So employees, pregnant people are protected under a variety of laws and under the law, um, pregnancy is considered a disability. And I know that some people bristle at that. Um, but the idea is that you are supposed to be protected to, basically say that you can't necessarily do everything that you've always done and let's make a reasonable accommodation. So what's a reasonable accommodation? This is a term of art in the law and it essentially means that an employee needs to be able to perform their essential job functions. So, you know, if the kind of classic example is if you're a pilot and then you become disabled and you're blind and you can't fly, then there's there might not be a reasonable accommodation for you to continue being a pilot. But if you if it's a question of shifting your work hours or maybe you can't lift, but you there's another position that doesn't require as much lifting, it might be a reasonable accommodation to switch to that position. Now, this process of requesting a reasonable accommodation from your employer, um, there's something called the interactive process. So in the ideal situation, an employee makes a request for a reasonable accommodation and the employer discusses it with them. They don't have to offer you exactly what you ask for, but they do have to explain to you why they can't offer what you're asking for and talk to you about other potential Um, changes that could be made. Now, you know, this can be very fraught and can kind of be a heads up to an employee that their employer is not, um, you know, is, is potentially discriminating against them. And that is, I think, a reason to reach out to a lawyer because, because there are so many ways that that conversation can go. And if it's not going well, um, it's good to kind of tap an expert to talk through what what you might want to do as the employee to advocate for yourself. Now, that's important to hear because I can imagine also people being nervous then to even talk to their, their employee about this, their, their employer, they're afraid they're going to get fired and, and be discriminated against. Um, I had some other question, but moving on to hospital bills, because this is mm-hmm. something I've had a lot of friends uh, talk to me about. Is there anything else before we shift gears about maternity leave, paid maternity leave, time off, um, that whole part of the pregnancy project you want to comment on before I shift? Yeah. Thanks for asking. So (laughs) I do want to add that, you know, as a lawyer, I recently had a client who was like, you're the first lawyer I've ever met. And I forget because obviously I'm surrounded by lawyers that, you know, lawyers can be very scary, but I just want to point out that calling a lawyer doesn't mean starting a lawsuit. 
sometimes we operate in the background and we just advise our clients on how to advocate for themselves and what they should be kind of getting documentation of. So I just want to be clear about that, that even if you are having concerns about your employer and you contact a lawyer, that doesn't mean that the lawyer has to contact the employer. It might just mean that you kind of get a, a sense of is this right? And um, I think that that can be really worth the investment of time and and potentially paying for a consultation because it eliminates a lot of questions. I also want to say in terms of leave that some companies and businesses do have their own maternity leave that they offer. Sometimes people do offer paid leave and employers will have a handbook and the handbook should include this information. And I know that employees often don't know where the handbook is, don't want to ask because it kind of tips their hand that they need it. Um, And I just want to say that it is useful to look at, but that the New York state paid family leave, you know, exists. And if you live in an place other than New York that has paid family leave, those laws will be outlined for you and they should apply regardless of whether the handbook spells it out. Um, And New York State actually offers a really great New York State paid family leave website that has a lot of information for employees and employers. That's a great resource to look at to understand your rights. Perfect. I'll include that in the show notes. I'm writing a note of that right now. New York State okay, website, perfect. family leave. Perfect. Great. So those that listen and they want to know what those specific laws and, and protocols are, they can find that out. Good. I'm so glad that you mentioned that. All right. So this is something because I teach both pre and postnatal. So I hear all of it. And what a lot of people come back talking to me about is a very surprised a much more inflated hospital bill than they were expecting. Um, you know, they have insurance. A lot of them have insurance, and yet they still have these enormous bills. Uh, first of all, maybe why, but I don't know if you can answer that. But how can they, can people negotiate, or what can they do when they receive these bills with their, from their insurance company? Yeah. So, yes, bills can be negotiated. I think you know, the medical, there's a lot of issues with our healthcare system. I don't have to tell anybody (laughs) that, but, um, one thing to keep in mind is that unlike other bills that you receive, like your grocery bill or your internet bill, I mean, Fairway is not going to negotiate with me. (laughs) I mean, there's not one price for the cost of medical care. So it always depends on who is paying. Is a private insurance company paying? Different insurance companies negotiate rates with hospitals. And if an individual has to pay, then the hospital might use the highest rate. And there's different kinds of protections around that. Um, But I think bottom line, you should know that Yes, you can negotiate a hospital bill, and the goal for anyone who is in that position is you don't want to ignore it because that might end up um, having the hospital send the bill to uh, a debt collector, and that might impact your credit, but you also don't have to pay it right away. You might have access to hospital financial assistance. In New York State, there's a financial assistance law um, that has to do with the amount of income that your family makes, um, and you might be able to negotiate on that basis, or you can certainly negotiate a payment plan. So 
That's something to consider. And in New York, there is a resource called Community Health Advocates that offers free assistance to all consumers in New York State. Um, and I'll give you their phone number as well to add into the show yes. notes because people can call them and get help with negotiating their bills. Now, another thing you mentioned is what about with your insurance company? I think I know that it's very confusing when people get a bill because you don't really necessarily know where it's from. So the first thing that a person should do is really understand who is billing me. Is this the doctor? Is this the hospital? Is the insurance company saying that they're not covering something because it wasn't medically necessary or a doctor was out of the insurance network? Or um, is it actually just that you know, the insurance company paid everything that it has to, you have a big deductible, and so you owe the hospital a certain amount of money. And I think that's really the first step is understanding what are you faced with, because if it's something you might be able to appeal to the insurance company and community health advocates helps with that as well to say, no, actually insurance company, you should be paying for this service. Or it might be that you actually are liable, but you just have to negotiate the amount. That's so amazing to know because I, I've had bills that come in and honestly, it didn't even occur to me that I could appeal them. I'm just like, okay, I guess I have to pay this now. And it does seem a little insane that if you're with, you know, your insurance is supposed to cover a certain doctor, you're in a hospital, but another doctor sees you, how are you supposed to ask and find out at that moment if that other doctor is covered with your insurance or what the insurance is going to deem medically necessary if the care provider is saying, hey, we need to do this you're assuming that the care provider is saying that, so it is medically necessary. So it seems like it gets really messy and hard to navigate in the moment. Absolutely. And I think, you know, New York State has passed a a surprise bill law. And again, like paid family leave, this is a piece of legislation that's popping up in states around the country. And the idea is, of course, you can't ask a doctor if they show up at your hospital bed, if they're in your network. They might not even know if they're in your network. Um, so it's to a, there are protections for consumers who do find themselves with a surprise bill. And it's kind of the onus is put back on the hospital to explain and to notify people. And it's called so, the surprise bill law? Yes. And, <laughs> and just because it's a surprise to you doesn't mean that it fits the um, characteristics protected in the surprise bill law, but um, it is something to know about and to look into. So, okay, because I'm, I'm kind of loving, first of all, the name and that there is such a thing. So what would be... <laughs> imagine like going legislation, we're going to pass a surprise bill law. So what would be covered under that? Since we're saying you can't ask at the moment and it may, even though it may be a surprise to you, it may not fall under that. So what would fall under that? So I, um, again, being a lawyer, I want to say, I I don't necessarily know all of the details right now, but I will say generally speaking, the kind of the classic example that has pushed these surprise bill laws into action is what if you're in the hospital and the anesthesiologist isn't in network, you have no choice um, as to who they are, but they show up, you have to have the surgery. Maybe you're having a C-section and, you know, 
you need somebody, you need these services. So that's the classic example of you're in a place that is in network and somebody out of network sees you. Another example is if you are in a place that's in network and you're sent to get blood testing or some form of testing and it's like down the hall, but down the hall doesn't mean in the same network. That's another thing that is protected. That is so confusing. <laughs> you would, our, you're right. our healthcare system yeah. is just, yeah, it's just, I'm boggled by this and I feel fortunate. I haven't really knocked on what I really haven't had to deal with this, but it just seems so overwhelming. And especially as a new parent, you're just, and you know, you have a 17 month old, you're trying to just navigate getting through the day and keeping everyone alive and functioning and trying to enjoy this. And you, and you may be dealing with the headache of, oh, I didn't know this person wasn't insured by it. It just seems, seems so overwhelming and so unfortunate. I agree. And <laughs> That, you know, coming from the experience of being an insurance advocate, you know, an advocate for consumers, I was concerned that I would kind of lose it during my own delivery and being obsessed with, is this going to be covered? What's that? Um, and of course, what I didn't realize is luckily you're very focused and I wasn't really able to think about those things. But I also think that in you, there as ridiculous as this seems, you can't always get the answer in advance. And so I think that it's not worth thinking through that when you're in the moment getting the care you need, mm -hmm. because there's work that you can do afterwards to deal with the bills. I will so say, I, I could just imagine some people now hearing this being like, they're getting like a new anesthesiologist, but like, what are you covered? I actually did have a client when I was a doula. She had um, a resident. So she had the attendant coming in to give her epidural and she let the resident do it. And the attendant was just watching. She, before the, the resident started, she's like, where did you go to school? Tell me about yourself. I was shocked. I'm like, you're in very active labor. You were literally about to get a needle. They're cleaning your back and you're asking where this, I mean, knowing the client, I wasn't surprised, but it did, it did make me laugh. So I can now imagine certain people as this is happening, they'll be like, wait a minute, let me, what, what are you, are you covered by your insurance? That's really funny. <laughs> yeah. People, they're, you know, People have all sorts of reactions to all sorts of <laughs> things. So I'm not surprised to hear, especially in New York City, that um, someone would be questioning <laughs> where they moment. went to school. <laughs> all right. So I'm going to shift gears again. Is there anything before insurance, before we move away from insurance companies you want to cover? You know, I will just share a, a brief story because there was one thing that I did become obsessed with. So, um, in New York, you are entitled to see a lactation consultant, Yay. and my insurance company didn't have a lactation consultant within the within. I think it was ninety miles of me. And as people who've been through this know, um, when you need a lactation consultant, you need them now, no. and you need them ideally Yesterday. in your. <laughs> Yeah. You, you're not getting your baby in some car to drive whatever, you know, or get on the train to go see somebody. So I knew that this was a violation of the network adequacy laws because you're supposed, insurers are supposed to have uh, an adequate network. They're supposed to have people within a certain area that you can see. And so I did find a lactation consultant. I paid her, I think it was $250. And then I tried to fight the insurance company about it because I 
was I knew that they were violating the law and how ridiculous that, you know, they're supposed to be offering this. But of course, you know, I had my newborn strapped to me. I'm like on the calls. I'm trying to write letters. And eventually I thought this isn't worth the $250. And I will admit that I gave up. So I tell this story because, you know, I think there is a lot that you can do to advocate for yourself, but also at a certain point, you know, the, I, I think of the insurance company, like, um, a casino, the house always wins. That's their job. And so, you know, you can fight the fight, but sometimes if you don't want to fight the fight, you know, maybe just, it's okay to move on if you can afford to. Well, that makes me think about breast pumps. Um, and I love that breast pumps are now covered by most insurance companies or maybe even all, I'm not sure. I know when I had my kids, um, they weren't. In fact, the second one might've been, but I already had one from the first and they're expensive. So how does one obtain a breast pump? And did, do we know if all insurance or just some insurances cover that? Yeah. So this was, um, through the Affordable Care Act, required that insurance companies provide breast pumps. So, insurance comp- I, it should be that all insurance companies offer them. And as with everything in the healthcare system, it depends. So, the question of how do you get it depends on your insurance company. So, you have to go to your insurer and ask what their process is and fulfill it. So you can't buy a breast pump and submit for a receipt. Different insurance companies contract with different providers to ship you breast pumps. And they offer different breast pumps. So if they don't offer um, a hospital-grade one, you might be able to argue or appeal to them that they should offer you a hospital-grade breast pump. But again, it's the question of... um, is it worth it? And how hard do you have to push? So you don't, okay. So you don't get a choice. It's just, you get, you somehow ask for it and something gets delivered to you. You get a choice within what your insurance company. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. Okay. So, um, like the different insurance companies might offer different brands. So if you want a Medela, but you can only get a Spectra through your insurance company, they're not going to give you a Medela because you want it. Got it. Okay. Now I'm glad at least a lot are, are supporting that because it's, it's expensive getting a breast pump. And for working parents, it's, it's a necessity. It's not a necessity I loved having, but I had to have it. And as I'm sure you might've yeah. had to too. So, oh, breast pumps. It's still the sound of yeah. the sound of my medulla still <laughs> haunts me to my soul. Um, <laughs> I, I agree. I was not sad to, to leave mine. Yeah. To retire that. <laughs> All right, let's shift now to hiring help. And this, I don't know, I'm going to ask some questions and I know you're a lawyer, so I don't know if you're going to, how you'll answer this. Um, there's the on the books or off the books question. And I know as a lawyer, you probably have to be like on the books, but I know yeah. many, <laughs> so, you know, let's just put that out there, but let's address the fact that many, uh, let's just use the word nannies, um, you know, could be other things, but let's say many nannies don't want to be paid on the books. Um, I encountered several myself when I was, had my kids younger. How do you work around that? And I guess if you, so let's start, how do you work around that? Cause I know legally they should be on the books. Um, right. and then if they are on the books, that means payroll and, and all of the above that you talked about as an employer. And, and this is something I was thinking about, cause we have these in my yoga studio, the, the labor law posters, like does someone that has a nanny that's on the books, they have to like have them in their kitchen. So <laughs> Like, yeah. 
<laughs> These are great questions. So you're correct that as a lawyer, I can't advise anybody to um, operate off the books. Uh, but I also recognize, and I had this myself, people don't want to work on the books. Um, now, the reason, you know, some I, I've had people come to me and say, well, I agree agreed with this person, you know, we have a contract and we agreed that they were off the books, but now the state is coming after me. Well, the state doesn't care if you agree with somebody to break the law. The law is the law. It doesn't matter what you choose. And the potential repercussions, again, lawyers, we always like to deal in risk, um, is that there are, if, if you do not pay properly. So you don't have the correct wages, you're not paying overtime, you're not doing the correct breaks. Then somebody has six years to bring a claim against you for unpaid wages. And that there is an entire industry of lawyers who take those cases for free because they do get um, attorney's fees and there are damages. Um, and they can bring those claims. Now that Nobody, it's a very awkward situation. You're hiring someone to be in your house and care for your child. So you don't want to think that it'll ever go bad, but it also might just be as simple as somebody, um, applying for unemployment when the job is done, not really understanding that they don't have access to unemployment because they weren't paid on the books. So you were not making contributions to the unemployment insurance fund. And that can trigger the state to ask a whole lot of questions and send you a pretty big bill for what you should have paid. Do a lot of people, how, it, how does the state find out besides the, um, someone filing for uninsurance? Because I know a lot of nannies that don't get paid on the books. So how would that yeah. even come to light? You know, I think that it would generally, I, I can't answer specifically because I don't know all of the reasons, but what I've seen is if somebody applies for unemployment or sometimes if the employer is doing their taxes and there's some question. So I don't know that that would necessarily be how nannies are found, but, um, you know, the state, all the different divisions of the state and the IRS speak to each other. Mm -hmm. And so it's possible for a question to pop up. I know that New York state, you know, I've seen it more when some, an employer believes that they have independent contractors and the state believes that they have employees. And you should know that a nanny can never be an independent contractor. They have to be an employee. So, um, Sometimes that's how the question arises. Interesting. No, so I'm, a, of course, yeah. I'm, I'm sure, you know, I hear what you're saying, and I'm sure there are plenty of people evading this law, but these are the repercussions if you are found. All right. And then I know it's a silly question, but do they, do they need the labor law posters? Like, do they need uh, like a handbook? What is one that ha is doing the on the books? What's there besides the... Let me see. What do I do for my my employees? Um, I have the compensation. I've got some sort of insurance. I have a handbook and the laws. Like, what do do people need that at home for a single employee? 
technically you do need to provide them with the labor posters. You do there, you do need to provide them with notice of their rights, for example, for paid family leave. Um, you should be providing wage notifications. It gets really detailed. And actually the Department of Labor does have some good resources um, explaining what you should do that I can share with you as well. Yeah. Um, but also, so it does, you know, I think the most important thing is you want to have a nanny filling out time cards because you uh-huh. do want that protection of if there's ever a question later to say, I have records, here are the records. Oh, I never thought about a nanny filling out a time card. Huh. I will yeah, say, I'm glad, it, yeah. <laughs> I should say I'm glad I'm past that world. <laughs> Yeah, I will be, you know, very honest that I did have a part-time nanny for my son's early life. And honestly, it is, you know, as as somebody who does this work and had other options other than a nanny that fit my life, I feel much easier putting him somewhere where somebody else is dealing with these questions. (laughs) This is super helpful. All right. So now we're wrapping up this question. Is there anything you want to, I have so many, so many <laughs> questions, but I'm, I'm loving this. This is really interesting. I hope the community finds it interesting too. Is there anything on the hiring help that we need to continue with that you, I didn't ask? You know, I think it's just a question of really understanding you know, what you are supposed to do and finding someone who, finding a payroll processor, finding an accountant who knows how to do this, looking up what the requirements are and um, trying to abide by them. Oh, this is a question I had. Um, I had kind of a friend of a friend that had some babysitters and they were just kind of sporadic babysitters. But what I heard is when the new babysitter came, she handed her a tax form. Does one need that with just like a date night babysitter? Or can they be independent contractors because they're not committed to a certain amount and they can take or not take the hours you're offering? Mm-hmm. So this question of whether someone is an employee or an independent contractor, there's at least like 10, um, you know, 10 areas that the state looks at to determine whether that's the case. I will say that, you know, one key thing, as you highlighted, is does the person do this work for other people? Do they control the work? So obviously the um, person seeking a babysitter is looking for someone for a specific time. But if the babysitter can say no and they babysit for multiple people, um, I think there would be a good argument that they're an independent contractor. Okay, that's good. <laughs> There's, I have to admit, like I will say that yeah. I, I use babysit. I hope I don't come to regret this, but I use babysitters as independent contractors. You- <laughs> but you can't have a na- a nanny who is also babysits. Like just because one person sometimes also babysits doesn't mean that they can be an employee one day and an independent contractor the next. Okay. Interesting. So, so you can have your vape, you can have your nanny. And then if you're like, Hey, nanny friend, can you do extra hours Saturday night when we go out? That would still be in the employee, even though it's beyond, would that be overtime then? It might be overtime. 
depending oh. on how much they work. Yeah. Oh, gosh, this is so confusing. Uh, <laughs> that's why I'm glad we're breaking it all down. Okay, we're going to take a super quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to ask for one tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer new or expectant parents. Okay, we'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, we are back. So one tip or piece of advice I'd like to offer new or expectant parents. <sighs> one piece. So I think that the best advice I can offer is to plan, but also to expect the unexpected. And I think that's the case um, throughout parenting from pregnancy through labor and beyond. But I uh, you know, there are certain things that you can plan for and understand, like what are the rights that I have at work? How much leave am I going to get? How much am I going to get paid? You know, is this doctor and network? Have I chosen a hospital to deliver that is covered by my insurance? But you might not be able to answer every question in advance and that's okay. Um, And the idea is just to know what you can know and keep track of what you can and you can figure it out later. That is excellent. All right. So I know that you also do some classes. Where can people find the Pregnancy Project and your classes and your general work? Thank you for that question. Um, So we have a website, the pregnancyprojectny.com, and we are part of a law firm. So it's a part of our law firm's website. And we offer our classes um, sporadically at different locations around New York City and the Hudson Valley. So we really invite people to invite us to speak to their, to groups of um, women or people who might be interested in this. Um, And we keep our website updated with our classes and our Instagram as well. Perfect. This is great. And I'm so glad that you do keep your Instagram up because that's how I found you. And I'm so glad that you shared this somewhat overwhelming, maybe I'm speaking for myself, somewhat overwhelming information because I'm guessing if it seems like a lot to me, it probably seems like a lot to others. So the fact that you're able to help one digest and decipher this, it's so important, especially at such a huge transition in one's life where there's already so much going on. So thank you for the work you do. Thanks. And thank you for your great questions. And I would also just add that, you know, this area of the law is complicated for lawyers as well. So I think there's no shame in being confused and and asking for help because it's really a question of just trying to understand as best you can. And oftentimes when women go to their employers, they might be the first person who's been pregnant in their office. And so the employers are confused too. So um, it's, it's an area where there's a lot of information to be shared. This is great. Thank you so much. Enjoy your day. Thanks, Deb. Bye. Bye. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. 
You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.